I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Now, I believe in miracles, and we're watching one on Blu-ray at home, but if you're thinking about Mad Max, it don't matter if it's black or chrome. This is Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 119, which begins with the rest of the Sydney unit leading into the editorial staff, and it ends with the credits for the stereo conversion. But as you may have surmised from my intro, we are not talking about the credits we are instead talking about Mad Max Fury Road, the black and chrome edition, released in 2016, roughly a year after the full movie was released in theaters. Did they put the black and chrome edition in theaters? They did. It was a limited run, and then of course they put it online for digital streaming and download, and then of course they did do an individual Blu-ray release, as well as a release as part of the High Octane collection. Which is what we have. Exactly. So in typical hiatus-style episode format, this movie was directed by George Miller. It was written by George Miller, Brendan McCarthy, and Nico Thoris. It stars Tom Hardy as Max, Charlize Theron as Furiosa, and Nicholas Holt as Nux. We are watching this because we have spent 118 previous episodes looking at this movie one minute at a time with an insane eye for detail and... Similar to season three, I feel like we may be missing the forest for the trees. And this viewing has a double purpose. Yes, seeing the forest through the trees. And also, George wanted us to see the movie this way. Mm -hmm. Not only that, many of our guests have made comments that the Black and Chrome edition is excellent. And have asked us if we had seen it yet. And we've been saving ourselves for this moment. Neither of us have seen this yet. In fact, I found a quote. One thing I've noticed is that the default position for everyone is to desaturate post-apocalyptic movies, George Miller once told Slash Film. There's only two ways to go. Make them black and white. The best version of this movie is black and white, but people reserve that for art movies now. The other version is to really go all out on color. The usual teal and orange thing? That's all the colors we had to work with. The desert's orange and the sky is teal, and we either could desaturate it or crank it up to differentiate the movie. So from George Miller's own mouth, this is supposed to be the best version of this movie. And I'm so excited to see it. That's going to be the benchmark that we're looking for as we're sitting down to watch. Is this. better than one of the best movies we've ever seen. Exactly. <laughs> that is a high mark. What are your expectations for this viewing? I expect to love it. I'm looking forward to seeing the movie a bit more through George Miller's eyes. I know explicitly about the first movie and this movie that there are things he wanted that in Mad Max 79 he just couldn't afford to have and he did the best with what he had and here I know he wanted it black and white so I'm very much looking forward to seeing exactly what he wanted and along that same vein I really wish that I could see a Mad Max 79 that is exactly what George wanted mm. but in the absence of that we'll be happy with Black and Chrome edition, I assume. Oh, certainly. I am going to put the trailer for Mad Max Fury Road, possibly the Black and Chrome edition. I'll see which one I want to post in here based on the audio that 
plays during the trailer. But I'm going to put one of those in here. We're going to go watch the movie, and we will be back to talk about our initial reactions, our blow-by-blow through the plot, and all of that goodness. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Reduced to a single instinct. Survive. As the world fell, it was hard to know who was more crazy. Me or everyone else. Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Rated R, May 15th. And we're back. So, Julia, initial reaction right off the end of the movie. I liked it. My initial reaction is a positive one. How about you? I, once again, am surprised by how quickly the movie passed. For sure. I had a very similar reaction to when we went back and watched Beyond Thunderdome. This two hours flew by. It really did. When we lost Ang Herod, you pointed out to me that we were halfway through the movie. And I was like, what? Nuh-uh. I thought we were like in the first half hour still. Nope. I reminded you that Ang Herod dies at the 60 minute mark. And by the time we got to the point where Max was telling the Vuvulini to turn around, we only had a half an hour left to go. And it flew. Other than that, I wouldn't necessarily say that the Black and Chrome edition changed All that much. I do have a couple of issues with it that we're going to get into, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it was a net loss or a net gain. I'd say it's pretty much on par with the original. I agree with you on that. I'm not ready to call it a better version or a worse version. I agree with your neutral comparison, but there were a few things that... I found different. Okay, well, let's get into it. The first major thing that I noticed as a difference between the original and the Black and Chrome edition is how in the initial Citadel scene where Max is running through the hallways, it felt a lot more claustrophobic. It felt more frantic, more panicked. Something that I noticed throughout the movie is the removal of the color. The color spends a lot of time drawing our eye places, and without that... Our eyes behave differently. And during that first chase, I think it's one of those really noticeable places where my eyes are more drawn to Max's face, which is, as we've discussed many times before, very expressive. I wouldn't say his expressions are panicky. His expressions are problem solving, which sparks a little bit of panic in me because I don't have the same problem solving capabilities in this situation as he does. So I don't know what to do. And plunging everything into black and white, it takes away a lot of the detail in the walls of the hallways that he's running down. And so the only information you get is from the shafts of light coming through the wall or the light that's leaking around the door frames. And Max is running down one dark hallway after the other. And aside from making it feel more claustrophobic, it just feels a bit more like a horror movie. Yeah, I like the comparison to a horror movie. Horror movies, they often take place in the dark. 
and information is sparse. It's only provided by, like you said, shafts of light and whatnot. Yeah, I like that comparison. Now, in that opening scene, I also felt the first absence of color in the scenes where Glory showed up. That's right, because Glory is very saturated with color. Using those blues or those reds. And in this version, those are just shades of gray. And they all, I hate saying this, but more or less look alike. You don't get that contrast of blue-faced glory to red-faced glory and running through the hallway leading out to the drop-off. There's a lot of color in those flashes that Max sees in the original. And here in the Black and Chrome Edition, you lose out on that. Overall, the Black and Chrome Edition tells a slightly different story. And since I'm not a big fan of how they presented Glory, I mean, visually, it was great. But the fact that she was there with no explanation, I'm not a fan of. So in this version, she's kind of played down by that lack of color. And I'm really okay with that. And I think because she's played down by lack of color, as a consequence, Max's psychosis is also played down. I did not feel like he was having mental issues during this movie. Like I felt in the colored movie, you really do get a sense that he is struggling with demons. Right, because it all looks alike in black and white. Yeah. And you don't get that super saturated with color, otherworldly look to the visions that you really need in that instance to differentiate it from the real world that he's running through Versus this ghost world that's encroaching on him. But all that being said, when he eventually bursts through that hallway into the open air, everything is so much more bright. There is a sense of being overwhelmed by light that contrasts very well with the hallway that we were just running through. Instead of being overwhelmed by color, we get overwhelmed by brightness. Mm -hmm. Two very similar effects. Something that was lost in that burst out moment was the greenness of the tops of the citadel absolutely and as we know going through this movie the idea of the color green is a big motivator during this movie and i would argue it is one of the two largest motivators in how it ends up at the end of the movie yeah it is kind of funny that one of the major plot points in this movie is that they want to go to the green place and nothing in the black and chrome edition is remotely green yes so I think that is definitely something that we lost, that connection to a color. Now, since we've gotten to the end of the cold open, I want to rewind a little bit because in the version that we watched, there was a little forward that was recorded by George Miller where he explained his reasoning behind the black and chrome edition. And I loved it because he was sitting in what looked like the writer's room for Fury Road. They had the cells for the storyboards behind him with a big table and it seemed like, oh, hey, I'm just George Miller hanging out in the writer's room. Funny you caught me here. <laughs> but he explained that he was watching them record the music for Road Warrior using this busted up black and white pre-cut of the movie. And he loved that so much that he wanted to bring it forward. And one thing that really struck me about watching the Black and Chrome Edition is that it doesn't strike me as something that was necessarily that complicated for them to do. I feel like they loaded their movie into Adobe Premiere, put on a grayscale feature, and just hit export. Well, I don't think that the 
process of actually creating it is what is prohibitive. I think it's the process of distributing it that's prohibitive. Mm. Getting it out into theaters, having it advertised, getting it uploaded and available to stream, getting a DVD release. All those processes cost money. If the studio doesn't think that there will be any return on this special edition of a movie, then they're not going to do it. And from the business side of things, I absolutely get that. What really made me think that, though, is how all of the titles are in black and white. When the title card swings in Mad Max and then it burns in Fury Road, Fury Road is a bright, burning white color. And I really felt the absence of red fire in this cut. Really? Yeah. I did not. I did really enjoy those opening moments with the title cards and whatnot. It had been so long since I had seen the movie as a whole and since we reviewed those minutes, I'd really forgotten about how powerful they were. So I really, really enjoyed seeing the whole thing all together again. And maybe because it had been so long since I had seen it in color and all together that I didn't miss the flames of that opening sequence. After you go through Furiosa leaving in the water and all this other stuff, when they actually get to the buzzard fight and they start throwing around the thundersticks and all these explosions are happening, they're just splashes of white. And watching the waterfall from the side of the Citadel and flames in this movie, it all kind of felt the same because the water falls out white and the fire burns bright white. It just all seemed indistinct from each other. I think that may give us the opportunity to draw different comparisons Okay. between the water and the fire. In our world, we see life and death. And in their world, I think they reverse those roles. Joe has convinced them that water is just addictive and will harm you in the end. And they use fire for communication and victory. It's seen in this context, it's seen as something positive. So they have reversed those roles. And I think visually seeing them similarly helped me see that comparison because I never thought about how they treated those two elements similarly and differently than we do. I never thought about that comparison when we were watching it minute by minute. My biggest takeaway at the end of the day is that you have to focus on different things now because the fire's not there to draw your attention. The Doof Warrior is no longer dressed in red. Those things that drew our attention, that stark, the beautiful teal sky and the orange sand, that's no longer there. We have to focus on something else. And I think what it comes down to is we focus on the people more. At least I did. I focus much more on the individuals, mm. especially during the buzzard fight with the Morsov thing, the swing around and save, and then his leaping sacrifice I focused way more on the individuals rather than the explosions and the cool effects. One of the things I noticed people related is that the war boys being painted white was less of a big deal in the black and chrome edition because everybody looked white. The white paint didn't distinguish the war boys from the folks that were running around unpainted. Did you get that sense or did it not stand out that much? It didn't stand out that much to me in the moment. But now that you pointed out to me, I'm like, yeah, they are all the same color now mm -hmm. and they're equalized. 
knowing that this is the version of the movie that George Miller thought was the best. And in his introduction, he did admit that some scenes lose something. Yeah. From the black and white. But even given that some scenes lose something, he still thinks that this is the best edition. So I take that to mean that some of the things we lose are things that to him weren't as important as maybe the importance we place on them. For example, the war boys being painted white. During our analysis minute by minute, we kind of made a big deal about that, about why they were painted white, what it represented, what it represented as Nux was fading, his white paint was fading over the course of the movie. So maybe that wasn't as important to George Miller in the storytelling as we put upon it. I still admittedly got goosebumps the first time we swept over the war party as they were speeding across the desert towards the war rig. When they first do the full reveal of the Doof Warrior with him hammering away at the guitar, I still got goosebumps. It's still a very affecting scene. I think the guitar itself looks better in black and white. I thought the details of it stood out better and you could see how intricate it was. Because in the colored edition, it's spitting these bright orange flames that are very cool, and the Doof Warrior is playing it, and he is very cool. We don't really ever look at the guitar itself. And it is a very intricate prop. It has a lot of depth and layers, and I can definitely see where you're coming from when you're looking at it against the bright red backdrop of the Doof Warrior's clothing and the bright orange flames that it's shooting. It's easy for that to get lost in all of the action. So I definitely see where that's coming from. When they get into the toxic storm, that was definitely one of the scenes that George Miller was talking about when he mentioned that some scenes lose something because the swirling vortexes seemed a lot more flat. They did. It reminded me of The Wizard of Oz in the first portion when she's still in Kansas and it's black and white and Mm -hmm. she gets swept up in a tornado. And that's exactly what it looked like to me. Speaking of The Wizard of Oz, I remember for some reason... Watching a version of that movie where the Kansas scenes weren't black and white, they were sepia-toned. So they were brown and white, more so than black and white. Does that sound familiar to you at all, or is that just a degraded VHS copy that I'm talking about? It's actually been a real long time since I've seen The Wizard of Oz. I dare say that we've actually watched Return to Oz more recently than we've watched (laughs) Wizard of Oz. Which is unfortunate. It's entirely possible that you're right, that it's not black and white, that it is sepia, because that was what was more either popular or possible at the time that it was done. Yeah. I can definitely see why you would want to go grayscale over sepia, because if you do sepia in a movie like this, then congratulations, everything is dirt, everything is brown. (laughs) There's a lot of brown in the original cut of this movie. I don't know why you'd want to keep it if you want to make it look black and chrome which i love that they titled it that way instead of black and white no this is black and chrome but that also leads me to mention something that also disappointed me a little bit the effect of the silver paint does not stand out nearly as well when everything is silvery it was the only shiny thing around Mm -hmm. but color wise it was the same as everything else you know what surprised me about the silver paint though how few times it actually comes up in the movie. In our Minute by Minute, we made a really big deal about the paint. Oh, yeah. Huge deal for something that we saw three times. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, part of the reason that we made a big deal about it was 
because at the time the movie came out, the spray was a huge deal. It like, was culturally significant. It yes. was like it went viral in our culture. It played off of its visual impact that it had on people. Yeah, it took something drab like a white painted face and it made it shiny and silver and it stood out in the original color edit because the only other chrome things you see are part of the vehicles and so you get this shiny face it stands out it's significant but you lose that (laughs) let me ask you this then okay if the black and chrome had been the addition what it was put in theaters what everybody fell in love with do you think that the chrome spray would have been as culturally significant as it was? I'm going to say no. You don't get the impressive visual of silver covering the face. You can see them holding up the bottle. You can hear them spraying it, but there doesn't seem to be any visual effect that the spray gives. You could almost look at the black and chrome edition and say, oh, they're just spraying an inhalant of some kind. It's not coating them the same way that it does in the original colored version. After Nux's second spray, and then he embarrasses himself in front of Joe, and he hides, and when we rejoin him licking his wounds at the bug lookout, his chrome paint has already started wearing away, and in the color version, you can see it getting less and less over time. In the black and white version, it just looks like his face is dirty. Mm -hmm. You can't see that progression that it is wearing away. Getting past the toxic storm into the scene where Max wakes up and he starts dragging Nux around. It appeared to me that he was standing on a white soundstage because the sand and the sky were such a similar color that it's almost like Max was waking up in the Matrix and he was going to talk to Tank or... Cypher or whoever it was, and he's going to be like, guns, I need lots of guns. And then racks, we're going to slide in. (laughs) I noticed the same thing. I noticed that it was a much simpler visual composition. And again, that forced me to pay more attention to Max as an individual. It brought me back to other times that he has been unconscious in the sand in past movies. Mm -hmm. But once we get to Max's fight with Furiosa... The fact that it was in black and white completely fell from my mind. I was just as engrossed in the fight scene as I was with the color version. It made absolutely no difference to me whatsoever. But it was a delight revisiting that fight as a whole instead of breaking it up minute by minute. It was a lot of fun watching the whole thing together again. You lose the individual steps, but the thing about a dance is that it's not about the individual steps. It's about... Each one of those parts flowing into each other to create a whole. Mm -hmm. The electric slide doesn't have the same effect when you're focusing on how many steps you're taking back and how many times you're stepping over to the side and, oh, am I clapping one too many times? As long as you're in the flow of it, then it works. And I know the electric slide is a weird dance to bring up right now, but I wanted to reference (laughs) that instead of the Macarena. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I think the electric slide is a perfect analogy, especially because the fight isn't just between Max and Furiosa. Not only do we have Nux, who wakes up halfway through and starts participating, but we have the wives, who are dancing around the edge, lending help when they can. It really is all eight of them dancing. Mm -hmm. The electric slide is no fun when it's just a couple of people. 
It's no fun with just two people. It's more fun the more people you have. I think that could be said for all line dances, though. Well, yes. I'm not a line dancer. I don't know. Casting aspersions. (laughs) (laughs) But once we get moving again, we get into the canyon, and I feel like the canyon is one of those scenes where the black and chrome edition really shines because the rock riders normally blend into their surroundings because of what they wear. But when you pull all the color out, I actually felt like the rock riders were easier to see. Oh, yes, for sure they were. Yeah. And while the explosion of the fuel pod didn't have quite the same punch to it, it was nonetheless exciting to see the bikes flying around again. When you have a big explosion like that, from the center of the explosion, you get those bright oranges and reds expanding outward. Well, at some point, that explosion of red starts to form a black shell on it, which normally on a colored screen, I'm a little disappointed because it blocks the oranges and the reds and you don't get to see as much of the explosion. But in black and white, it serves to accentuate the explosion of just different shades of white. And then you get the crust of black and it helps to define its curves and it's like bubbly edges. I think it makes it better. I can see that. Speaking of defining edges, when we get into the nighttime scenes, which that was what I was looking forward to most because I was thinking, oh, the nighttime scenes in black and white, it's going to be so much easier to believe that it's actually nighttime. What the nighttime scenes did for me was actually highlight the shadows from shooting day for night that apparently the moon was just so bright that night that they were casting shadows after the sun went down. Yeah, on a technical level, it really did work. It did a better job than the blue of making it look like it was actual night. Really? Now, when we were going into the nighttime scene, didn't you say something about how it's going to lose something? I didn't love it. I can understand what you're saying about why you did like it. I didn't. I thought that this was where we lost something. I don't necessarily want to say that I liked the nighttime scenes in black and white. I think I actually prefer the night scenes in blue. We just lost some detail. And the blue does feel fake. I know that it's not really that bright blue at night, even with a nice strong moon. I know that it's going to look more like the black and chrome edition of the night. It's just going to be black with shadows. Mm -hmm. But they used the blue for a reason, because it simulates night, but you still get all the details. And I would prefer to have the details. You know what I would prefer to have? The orange glow of the lantern in the backseat of the war rig. That scene suffered for not having that orange glow. The whole time we were watching the nighttime stuff, it felt like it was overcast, that it wasn't actually nighttime, that it was still daytime. They had just driven underneath a really heavy cloud cover. That's the sense that I got going mm-hmm. through it. And yet when the bullet farmer shows up with his sweeping spotlight, I really like how whenever the spotlight swings over everything, it lights it up to remind you that, no, it is actually nighttime, but it's a bummer that I had to be externally reminded that it was nighttime and didn't feel like nighttime. I think that's where this scene in the black and chrome improved is with that spotlight. I thought it was more believable. I really liked the spotlight. And another moment that I really liked was after they shoot out the spotlight 
and the peacemaker gets going again and the bullet farmer is on a revenge warpath now and he's got his machine guns ablazing and he's just shooting them and he's speaking very poetically i thought that moment was still nice and strong oh i'm definitely with you there I don't think it lost anything. It may have even gained something. It made it a lot easier to see. His movements, the way he stands up on top of the Peacemaker and he's holding out the MP5s and he shot, it was a lot clearer to see. And I will gladly say that I prefer that part of the nighttime scenes to the regular colored edition. Because I feel like when everything was blued out, that seemed very dark and you didn't get the full effect of what he was putting on screen. It's the same thing with the guitar the details popped Mm -hmm. another instance where the details popped was the next morning when max woke up from his nightmare i feel like the nightmare imagery was a lot easier to see especially the popping eyes from the toe cutter you take away all the weird red tinting they put on that and it makes it a lot clearer it also doesn't necessarily feel like a dream sequence because it's not colored all weird but (laughs) even so I thought it was a lot clearer. And now that the war rig is out by itself, out in this very duny desert, I really liked the black and chrome. It made it feel so desolate, mm-hmm. so alone. You didn't even get the interesting colors between the orange and the teal. You got nothing. And while you technically miss out on some of the intricacies of the Vuvulini's outfits, I'd say that the Vuvulini were pretty monochrome to begin with. Their outfits don't strike me as necessarily colorful, but they were certainly interesting, and you don't lose any of that in the black and chrome edition. They dress to blend in. We did lose some detail, but overall, I like that these out-in-the-desert scenes were black and white. I think the second night scene was actually better done than the first night scene, with them hanging out with the Vuvulini, because they put in stars they put a nighttime skybox in that scene where they're looking <laughs> yeah. at the satellite flying overhead and you get the sense that they are being lit up by natural nighttime light stuff now that we're in this part of the movie with the second nighttime scene there's something that i've been thinking a lot about since we covered it in the regular episodes that i kind of want to readdress it's the 160 nights thing we talked a lot about The 160 nights in the context of they were trying to get somewhere and they had 160 days in order to get there. And I've kind of been thinking about it in a different way ever since then. Do you think maybe they were saying 160 days as in we can survive, we can stay alive for 160 days? So within that 160 days, we better find something to extend that 160 days beyond Otherwise, we're going to die in 160 days. Oh, yeah, I'm totally on board with that. When we reviewed it in the minute, we just weren't quite looking at it from the right direction. We were focused more on how ridiculous it is to think that motorcycles can ride for 160 days. Yes, I think they meant more our provisions are going to run out and we are going to die in 160 days. That's fair. Which is a much more depressing way to look at that scene when she's discussing it with Max. Oh, and when we were talking about it in the minute, if I remember correctly, we were like, why is she whispering when she walks by Max? There's Vuvalini right there who can clearly hear her. So why is she trying to have this private conversation with him? I think that she is protecting the wives especially 
from knowing that they are going to die. They are going to starve to death. They are going to be dehydrated to death in 160 days. I don't think she feels the need to tell them that explicitly. But she wants to tell Max that explicitly. So that way he can get a sense of their plan? Yes. And I thought the black and white played very well. And the next morning, you get another one of those instances where the ground and sky really blend together. And it's Max and the Vuvulini driving through this almost completely white void. Once again, hammering home the isolation that you were talking about when we saw the war rig alone in the dunes. That's the feeling that we're supposed to feel until they are attacked. Mm -hmm. One detail that I definitely missed when we were talking about the scene minute by minute, when Max talks about going back the way they came and Melita stands up saying, oh, what is he talking about? And Joy says he wants to go back the way they came. If you look over at the Vuvulini, she has an epic eye roll that I completely missed the first time. Yeah, I saw that. That's a shame that we missed it. That was fantastic. Because they come from this culture where men are not listened to. They are not part of the ruling class. Their ideas aren't considered. So here comes this man thinking he knows what's best. And she, raised in her particular culture, finds that eye-rollable. Because as our guests have said in the past, this isn't necessarily the best sounding plan. No, it really isn't. Cultural upbringings aside, I think she's justified in doing at least a little (laughs) bit of an eye roll. (laughs) But once we get into the chase back to the Citadel, we get a lot of moving around, a lot of crashing into things, blowing stuff up. I don't feel like we miss a lot of that in the Black and Chrome edition until we get to the explosion of the People Eater's Limo. The explosion of the People Eater's Limo and Max being on the pole and flying in front of it, something is lost there. Yeah. That visual moment. Because the ground is very white, the sky is very white, and then you've got this giant white plume in the middle. And yeah, it's surrounded by black smoke and it's all very impressive because you see bits and pieces flying everywhere but it doesn't quite have the same effect as that bright orange either colored edition or black and chrome cheeto read the same to me Mm -hmm. and her moment of decision and her taking off the trappings of the vuvulini and reaching out to rictus Watching that as a whole and watching it again, I've learned a lot about Cheeto and I've thought a lot about her over the course of the last 120 episodes. So seeing that moment again, I think I appreciate it more. Are you getting to the point where you need to apologize for things that you might have said in the past? Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for Cheeto, I stand by my opinion of toast. Hey, It was cold that day. And there's no chance that we'll ever be talking to Courtney Eaton or Zoe Kravitz because this is the penultimate episode of the season. From the People Eaters limo being exploded to the crash at the pass, there's nothing else that really stands out as noteworthy differences between the black and chrome and the regular version for me. Something that I want to point out that really impressed me as landing the same to me was when Rictus was on the hood of the rig and pulls the top of the engine off. And we get that fantastic comic book image of the flames all around him and he's got the thing and up in the air. That landed the same for me. The visual impact was the same in the black and chrome. It still looked like a comic book cell. 
I was very impressed with that. I really liked the war rig crash and the subsequent doof wagon crash in the black and chrome edition. And it goes back to that black and white, high contrast, seeing a lot of detail. There's a lot of things all happening. Yes, and it's easier to see them. It's easier to see all the things flying off. Oh, real quick, along those same lines and that same point, I want to cut all the way back to the beginning of the movie real quick. When Max is intercepted in his interceptor and it rolls over, I was able to notice all the things flying out of the car around the tumble because of that high contrast. And same here at the pass. You can see all the things Passing through the empty space between the canyon and the citadel, we get the scene where Max does the blood transfusion and opens up Furios' chest cavity. The blood is incredibly black. I love how black it is. It's hard not to notice that. But once they actually get back to the citadel, I couldn't help but notice that all of the wretched that are on the treadmills, they blend in even more in the black and chrome edition than they do in the regular version because they're just so much the same color as those wheels. And I love what that says about their society, how insignificant they are. Mm -hmm. They even blend into the mechanical pieces. I love in those shots of the elevator contraption how much the war pups pop. They really do because their white paint isn't dirtied by being out doing war. Their white paint is very pristine. And so you're right. They do pop. It's great. And I also like Max walking through the wretched. I thought his face stood out very well. Exactly. It felt like I was making better eye contact with him while he was walking away. My gosh, the eyes in the black and chrome edition pop so much more. They do, which is interesting because you can't see their color. And there's so many blue eyes in this movie. It's the white of the eye just makes it stand out so much more than when it's in color. Agreed. But that pretty much brings us to the end of the recap. Do you have a favorite thing in the Black and Chrome Edition that stands out to you? My favorite difference was the isolation of the rig once it finally got away from the war parties and was just out there in the Dooney Desert all on its own. I really liked the isolation that I felt much more significant than in the colored version. How about you? I have to say that my favorite part of the Black and Chrome Edition was that second night with the Vuvolini. I loved how they were looking at the stars and how each one of those stood out. I really loved how when the Dag and the Keeper of the Seeds are standing there by her motorcycle pawing through this bag of seeds, everything just stood out so much more crisp than it did in the colored edition because you don't have to deal with those blues. It's just grayscale everywhere and it feels more like night to me. And then you wrap that up with Furiosa and Max's scene together standing over by the front of the war rig. It just works a lot better for me than it did in the color versions. That's my favorite part of the black and chrome. Do you have a least favorite part? My least favorite was the first night. In the green place. I didn't mind its black and whiteness, but it seemed to be tuned too dark. It lost some of its detail. As for me, I have to say my least favorite part of the Black and Chrome Edition was the toxic storm. As soon as they went into those clouds, it didn't have the same impact for me. 
watching those giant tornadoes and the lightning and that one Citadel truck getting picked up and exploding, it didn't have the same punch for me. I needed the color of those tornadoes to differentiate them from each other. That's where I'm coming from here. Now, I have a bit of an oddball question. Would the black and chrome edition be improved if they brought the color back in for the flames? For flamethrowers, for explosions, fire specifically, they brought the color back in in sort of a Schindler's List situation where Mm -hmm. the red is what exists in the world of black and white. Visually, it'd be very cool, but it would pull us away from the point of the movie. Mm -hmm. The point of the movie is the people. It's the women who are looking for freedom from tyranny and oppression. That's the point of the movie. And that has nothing to do with flames. So it would be cool looking, but I wouldn't want that to be the primary version of the movie. I think the black and chrome could be the primary version of the movie, and it would still have been very successful. Hmm. <laughs> you disagree with me? On I that? don't agree. I think that part of the success of Fury Road was how much effort they put into making it as vibrant as possible. Because in the years between Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome and Mad Max Fury Road, you had a lot of very drab, a lot of very gray, dark, post-apocalyptic media. You had The Road and The Book of Eli and Children of Men and all of these movies presented an apocalypse where everything was dust and concrete. And we all needed something like Mad Max Fury Road to show us that there is still vibrancy in a post-apocalypse, that it's not just bombed out buildings and despair. There are vibrant things like flames and bright blue eyes and bright yellow pieces of stretchy rubber that get thrown over Max's face as he's dragged (laughs) into a hallway and then the doors swing shut and it's the title and the words come out in this blazing orange hue. It just worked so well. And its visual difference really helped to set it apart. And I just don't think you get that with the black and chrome edition. Do you think this movie would have been better had we seen it in the theater in the black and chrome? Considering it now, I think it would be a good watch to see it in the theater. Mm -hmm. To be surrounded by a better sound system and seeing it on a much larger scale. But I'm not upset that we didn't see it in the theater. I kind of am. I wish that we had seen it in the theater. And we live in a part of the country where when something comes on limited run, it just doesn't come near enough to us. Yeah, we'd have to go down into Boston to see something like that. And I don't remember what we were necessarily doing in May 2016 when it had its limited run in theaters. We definitely didn't have Mad Max in our radar the same way we do now. So what are your final thoughts and recommendations concerning Mad Max Fury Road hyphen the black and chrome edition. I think it's absolutely worth a watch. I think I do like the colored version better, but the black and chrome, I think, can stand up on its own. You don't have to have seen the color version to enjoy the black and chrome version. I don't regret watching it. I'll say that much. (laughs) I love the subject matter and I love the visuals. I'm not going to say that I'm in love with the grayscale though i love fury road for fury road i don't necessarily love the black and chrome edition because it takes away 
more than it adds. I know that in George Miller's little intro, he's like, oh, I hope you love this version as much as I do. And I'm sorry to say I don't necessarily do, George. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I like color. I really like when directors get to put out their ideal version of the movie. I like having more than one version, more than one cut of a movie saying, okay, this is what we all worked together on and produced this. That's what goes in the theater. And then there's a director's cut, what his dream was. I like having both. A cut with all the deleted scenes pushed back into it. Yes. For a moment, I was hopeful that the few deleted scenes that are included on the DVD set and George Miller's version would be put back in. But they were not. Nah. Nope. Defending that idea, though, the scene with the woman who discards her baby so that she can go up the elevator definitely feels extraneous even though she does show up later in different shots the scene where ang herod's body is left with miss giddy in the middle of the desert there's no good place to insert that scene because it's just so out of place considering where we're at with the war rig and the last deleted scene that i didn't even mention when we were talking about the minutes is just an extended driving section between Max persuading them to get back on the war rig and them being spotted by Joe and his forces. It's just them driving some more. No added dialogue or anything? I don't think so. Not that I can remember. Otherwise, it might have stood out better in my memory and I would have brought it up the first time. (laughs) But I would definitely recommend people to watch this if you are, let's say, Invited to a party where people are like, oh, yeah, we're going to show a bunch of black and white movies and just put them on the TV in the background as we're milling around. And so if people show up and they bring an old Buster Keaton movie like The General or they bring Battleship Potemkin or something like that, and then you can bring the black and chrome edition and throw that into the mix. So then suddenly people are like, oh, what's this Mad Max? And you're like, yep, black and white movie totally counts. (laughs) So speaking of black and white movie, it totally counts in George Miller's intro. He talked about how he saw a rough cut of Road Warrior that was in black and white. It was used very utilitarian to help them do the score. While he was saying that, I was like, I want to see a black and white version of Road Warrior. Oh, I could totally do that. Like I said, I'll throw it into my editing software. I'll pull all the color out and just output it as a new version. Okay, I would like to see that very much. Okay, I I don't think it would be nearly as stark a difference because that movie was already pretty monochrome. But I'm interested to see what George saw. Okay, we'll see about doing that. But that brings us to the end of today's episode. We are going to be coming back for one last episode on Friday. It will be the last minute of Mad Max Fury Road. It will be our chance to look back at the last four seasons of the Mad Max Minute and wrap everything up in a nice little bow before we begin the long, long, indiscriminate wait for what we hope will eventually be Mad Max Wasteland. (laughs) (laughs) The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Bautista of danielbautista.com. 
Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 119 of Fury Road. See you next time.